On behalf of Dianova, we warmly welcome you to these sessions where we are going to talk about substance use health. My name is Lucia Goberna, and I'm responsible for the institutional relations of Dianova International. I'm joined by Pierre Ramon, content manager of Dianova International. Hello, Pierre. Hello. And we have the pleasure of interviewing Gord Gartner, the Vice President of Strategic Partnerships of uh, CAPSA, that is the Community Addiction Association, uh, Peer Support Association in Canada, sorry, known as CAPSA. Hi, Gord. It's nice. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, it's exciting to be together and to talk about these important issues uh, that we can all do something about. And I, I think that's a, a, a good place for us to start the conversation. There are things we can do, and that's a place of resiliency and empowerment for people. So could you please give us a quick overview of the situation of uh, substance using in Canada? What are the biggest problems? We can start at the beginning that uh, one of the biggest problems is we tend to only engage around substance use at the far end of the spectrum of use where people are really struggling. Our four pillar system of education, prevention, harm reduction, treatment, and enforcement have worked in separate silos for a number of years and there's a recommendation from the expert task force that we held last year to end those silos and to work in conjunction and so what is the focus and uh, knowing that 78% of people living in Canada over the age of 15 use substances including alcohol and tobacco it's not a question about whether people will use substances, it's a question about their substance use health. Could you briefly explain what substance use health is? Well, you know, if I said physical health to you and you told me you had a sprained ankle, it doesn't mean you weren't working on your physical health. You would have something that was there or if you had uh, blood pressure and you need to take medication for that, you know, physical health isn't an ideal, it's something that you attain where you're at for in, in doing that. And if I talk about mental health, we know in the last 20 years, the conversation of mental health has become much more public, much more acceptable. People say, I'm taking a mental health day, right? Uh, but substance use health, we've never put the word together before. So that's that underlying systemic discrimination and oppression, the idea that using substances is bad. And so the only time we talk about it is if you're really, really, really struggling and we ignore the the vast majority of people using substances in their long-term health outcomes that can often be uh, impactful on the healthcare system. In fact, most costs associated with substance use is not at the disorder in the spectrum. It's at the broad population level. So, and you also imply that substance use effects uh, can be understood as a continuum. Could you elaborate a bit on that? Sure. We try to use the word spectrum and I'll tell you why, because when you speak about a continuum, some people tend to see a train, and if I start, that means I get to my destination. And the destination on the continuums you see out there is substance use disorders, aka addiction. And actually, it's a spectrum where people can be at different places at different times in their lives on that spectrum. And one doesn't lead to the other, and one doesn't eliminate the possibility of being at the other. So we see people that struggle with substance use disorders, who return to a place of managing their substance use in a way that's fine for them and they feel healthy about. We also see them going to a place not use. We also see them staying in that place and needing social supports around their health issues. And so, um, but yes, just because someone went and had a beer today or smoked a, some cannabis doesn't mean they're gonna develop an, an addiction or a substance use disorder. 
So we see people there, and then we see where most people are, and we ask the question, why is there no door where I can just talk about my health in regards to my substance use? Just that. Mm -hmm. and, and you mentioned in, in your brochure, you mentioned that the use of substances can be viewed uh, through a scale which ranges from beneficial to damaging to health. Uh, can you give some examples of uh, what a beneficial use would be? Uh, sure, there's, there's a lot of uh, healing around the use of substances for many people, uh, especially uh, people experiencing mental health are often taking substances to balance out their chemistry. Uh, remembering that a lot of these things for many years in indigenous communities were used as forms of healing and for ceremony. So, and I guess the really simple one is if it's a nice sunny day in the fall over there today and somebody's outside on the patio having a glass of wine, they're experiencing pleasure, right? It's beneficial, it's social, right? The question is, if they have three glasses of wine, have they been able to make a cost-benefit decision around that? Do they have any information about the difference between three glasses versus one glass? And are they merely saying, I'm not intoxicated, so therefore I'm healthy with my, with my use? Do I have enough information to make that decision? Also, an, an aspect that called our attention is the, the need to deprioritize abstinent as the primary target of substance use healthcare. Isn't that the case in Canada already? I would say no. It, it, it's emerging. What we've got is the pillars of harm reduction, which is the idea that you're using substances and therefore I'm going to try to teach you how to use them with the least harm, which is actually a health outcome. Uh, so, you know, uh, harm reduction is a philosophy, but actually it's a health outcome. Um, and then uh, treatment is a kind of a funny word sometimes because if I got treated for a wound, you would know, well, my wound's been treated and that's over now. Whereas if I get treated for a substance use disorder, we know about 60 to 70 percent of us are going to have a reoccurrence in the first year. So it's kind of a misnomer, and really what it is is an early discovery of where I'm at in, in, you know, in the spectrum, what my needs are, but what underlying issues I may have in regards to that. And so we often get confused if I have a reoccurrence that that means I've done something wrong rather than that's the issue I'm working on is my inability to stop. It's not a, it's, it's not a failure. It's just part of my process. So we really need to look at these through a, through a health lens. How is my health and how is my relationship towards substances? And for some people, moving to a place and not using is going to be an outcome that they, they're going to desire. But for the majority of people, it's going to be managing their substance use in a healthy way in an informed decision-based cost-benefit decision. And that door is just not open. The criteria for a substance use disorder is all based on the relationship to the substances, not the actual substance use or the quantities or the way I use. So it's about, am I compulsively seeking? Am I continuing use despite consequences? Those are all relationship things, and so I can change my relationship with that substance and not have those behaviors. Now, not everybody can have that change, but it's possible, and I know you've seen people who have changed their use in a way that's now acceptable for them and their families and friends, and uh, that wasn't my case, but I'm a small person of the population, and so we want to just have that doorway to say, you don't have to pre-diagnose before you ask for help. You don't have to be desperate before you ask for help. 
you don't have to ask for help because you're afraid of dying. You can ask for help because you're not sure what's going on. Hi, I'm not you're sure about my substance use. Can you give me some information? Opening that doorway will open the doorway to abstinence, actually, for some people. And, and so, yeah, my next question links directly to that. You already gave a hint, but how does this uh, substance use health concept trans translate into daily practice and into policy? Well, all of a sudden, you've got a lens to look through your uh, education policy. You've got a lens to look through your enforcement policy. You've got a lens to look through your harm reduction and treatment policy and say, the things you are doing, are they supporting someone's substance use health? And so if I was going to criminalize somebody for simple possession, I'd ask the question, well, is that increasing the health of them in their community, short-term, long-term? Well, you know, the answer is pretty obvious, um, but that's the lens to look through. Not, is it criminal or isn't it criminal? Is it helpful to our society? And I'm talking friends, neighbors, communities, not just the person. Is it helpful in a, to our community to have someone with a criminal record because we know the outcome of people with criminal records is they have trouble getting jobs, they have trouble getting housing, they have, they have harms, right? And so is that, is that the cost benefit in question? The other piece is around education. Instead of educating people not to use substances, you would kind of say, that conversation's kind of over, right? That's kind of like 18th century. You know, so what, what's the conversation today? People across the world are using substances of some manner in the majority. So then if you're going to use them, what's the best way to do that? What's it look like if you're having trouble? And where would you go if you were having trouble? So that people using substances can, can make those cost-benefit equation decisions, but also have an early awareness of what unhealthy use looks like and what problematic use looks like and what a substance use disorder looks like. And so when your friend is at college, go out and have a blackout on Friday night during Frosh Week, it's not a celebration. Your friends would say, geez, I'm, I'm a little worried about you. You know, we were out last night, but you know, you didn't look well. And, and you don't remember what you did yesterday. And I, I, I don't think that's okay. I, I don't think that's great. And so. You know, uh, instead of this social response we have, I think there's a study just came out of the United Kingdom that 92% of social media content around alcohol is positive in nature. That's indeed yeah. worrying. And, and I think it's very interesting that you asked to pose the right question. Do, do, do you think systems are ready to ask those right questions? Well, I think uh, the beautiful thing about a question no matter who you are, what system you're dealing with, if you can voice the question, people hear the answers in their head, whether they say them out loud or not. And that's the beginning of change, is the ability to ask the right question. People don't necessarily want to listen to me, and I know they might want to listen to you folks a little more than me, but they can't get away from their own voices. And so one of Jacaps's job is to ask these questions of people not give the answer, but here's the question. You have your own answer now, and then you have to live with that incongruity. And people don't like incongruity. They will move towards resolving that. And we don't have to push them. We don't have to do anything. We just have to get there and have them hear their own answers. And you mentioned the need to achieve funding parity for physical and mental health care. 
is mental health care in Canada as dramatically underfunded as it is in Europe? Yes, well, you know, we come from that novel thing that happened uh, where we started having specialists in areas of specialty in our school systems design areas of expertise and we see things as separate and we break things down and break things down. It turns out I'm just a person, you're just a person. We've got bodies and minds and, you know, we eat and we use substances. And so can't I as a whole person just go to my GP next year, my general practitioner, my doctor, and when I walk in the door and goes, hey, how's your head, Gordon? Any aches and pains? And how's your relationship with substances? Just that. And, and why don't they? 91 out of 100 doctors in Canada will not ask people about their substance use this year. They won't in Europe neither. Right. And, and so why not? Well, because they're not sure how to have the conversation. They think that it's over here on this end of the spectrum. And not having that conversation just creates all these barriers to care for people and uh, the need for those resources. So see, these are big questions and there's some big answers and people will, will wonder, okay, well, geez, we got quite a problem. We got quite a problem. And so what will it take to fix that? Well, I guess we'll have to start, All right? And it's the starting that gets to the end. It's, it's not the trying to get to the end before you start. Coming back to the factor of education, because it's one of the primary focus of this perspective, in practice, what should be improved or developed and how? Do you have any ideas? Oh, I, I have a few, you know. And so uh, gentleness, right? Curiosity, concern, and just having those conversations, you know, um, it doesn't sound like much, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like it's unimportant. But if again we go back to the questions, if I don't ask you how your substance use is, how do you feel that you can talk about it? You know, when I'm at the doctors and they don't ask me, then I, it really tells me that's something we don't talk about here. Right? And so that doorway to that and that non-presumption of illness. The presumption that I might just need some information. I don't need treatment. I, I don't. I'm not having a big trouble. I just acting without knowledge. What knowledge do I have around alcohol use? Well, I learned it on commercials on TV. What knowledge do I have around addiction? Well, I saw images in a movie. Well, I, I, that's not me. All right. So where's my spot of knowing around my substance use? Uh, it's empty. And, and linked to that. What role does compassion play? Is it a talent? Is it a quality? So, I think compassion is a practice, and when people practice things, often other people think they're talented. And so a friend of mine once told me, if you practice piano an hour a night for a year, after a year someone will actually want to listen to you play. And so imagine we practice compassion couple minutes every hour of the day and got to our hour of practice of compassion and care for others. I think that everybody would want to have our compassion in their lives and to have a bit of compassion. So what does that look like as an action rather than as a concept? It's my ability to be with you in deep respect 
for where you are and to recognize that I believe deeply everyone in front of me has done their very best to have a good life, wants to be a good friend, wants to be a good partner, wants to be a good neighbor. And it may not have happened yet, but that is the places that all children set off to be. And so can I just respect that of you and wonder if there's something I can do? And if not, at least I can be with you. And you don't have to do anything to have my care. And you don't have to change anything to have my care again tomorrow. That's compassion. Non-controlling, unconditional care and high regard for the other person. And it's a practice. You know, because I'm, I'm a person, I go to the grocery store every day, you know, and it's really kind of embarrassing because when I get there, my, my job is to see if I can be with the other people shopping. Because it's not my grocery store, it's not my line, that's not my cashier, they're not in front of me, they're just buying groceries. And yet I tell you every day I get to the grocery store, I have to go through that process and recognize, ah, oh, it's not a long line. It's just other people buying groceries. Look at me, I'm buying groceries too with them, not behind them. And in terms of advocacy, what recommendations would you give to other organizations or persons that are interested in this concept? How can we promote this concept and this perspective? At the regional, national, international level, do you have any advice? Well, I, I think it's really important that we have evidence and we have data around the use of substances in our, in our countries, in our communities, and, and recognize that that debate is over. And then speak with and bring compassion to this. Because when we ask these questions and people get these answers, one of the answers they're going to get is we've been hurting a lot of people for a long time. And, and that's difficult for people in the healthcare system, it's difficult for people in government because they're kind of committed to not doing that, right? And so we have to be kind about it. We don't have to be dishonest about it, it's true, we've been hurt, that's true. But if we take our pain and bring anger with it, it's really hard to hear someone who's shouting at you. Right? So we have to be like water, I guess, is the answer. You know, water will wear down rock, and everybody understands that who's ever been to the seashore or looked at a river. But it doesn't wear down rock from its strength. It wears down rock from its persistence, its flexibility, and its tenacity. And so we want to be present, and we want to be steady, and we want to be flexible, and we want to have tenacity with our love and compassion for others and for system change. Thank you, Gauss. <laughs> it's a it's a very strong perspective and a very strong compliment and I think it, it's been very enlightening to to hear that coming from you and I think the the asking the right questions and being ready to listen to the sincere answers uh, is key and is there any anything that you would like to share as a takeaway or a sort of conclusion uh, although it's it's very difficult to really sum it up. But well, well, I think this is it. Look at us reaching across the ocean to speak to each other about care and compassion, about change, you know, 
uh, it's this idea, um, you know, I, when I was younger, I wanted world peace and I was going to be a revolutionary and everything like that. And it's only in my sort of dotage that I finally figured out if I want world peace, I can't fight traffic. Right? You know, that there's something I can do and within my realm of strength. And I think I touched on it at the beginning, there's something all of us can do today. Right? All of us can think a little better about the person in front of us today. I have this sort of thing going on with me that if one day everybody in the world was respectful to the person in front of them, wouldn't it be wonderful? And my commitment is not to be the person that blows it. Right? I don't want to be the one person not being respectful when that magic moment comes. And I think if we all set out today to make sure if the moment comes that it's not us that isn't being respectful, then we will have changed the world and we all changed our world and ourselves. Well, thank you so much. I really take that uh, with me from this conversation. It has been really a pleasure to talk to you, Gordon, from CAPSA. And I, I hope that many listeners will appreciate and will also leave their comments and thoughts. And let's, let's get building on this uh, concept of substance use health. Thank you very okay. much. Thanks very much. Good night, Thank you. All the best. Good night.